The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, recorded from an actual studio. Because if you can work from home, do work from home. But I can't work from home. So I'm in the old and very empty Muddy Knees Media Studio in Soho. It's good to be back. Today on the show, after unprecedented demand on the social media, we take a deep dive on youth development. How do you build an assembly line of talented young new gens? How do you develop them? When's the right time to play them? Find out how to make your own Class of 92 on this show. Also, what's the hardest FM challenge? No, it's not managing Stuttgart or Schalke. It's something else. It's something much, much worse. And it's in the community centre. Book Club is back, and we've been reading about Bugsy. Nope, not Malone. And not the rabbit either. Two imaginary points for you if you can figure out this riddle. And, as you may have gathered, things have taken a turn on our FM Bundesliga Challenge. We'll be speaking to Alex Stewart. First of all, welcome back to the show, Andrew James from Sports Interactive. Andrew, for anyone who doesn't remember, what exactly do you do all day? Hi Ian, I'm a gameplay QA lead on FM and my area is training, finances, new gens and long-term progression. So I spend my time making sure as the game progresses into the future, things sort of stay realistic and nothing crazy happens. That is perfect because new gens are what this episode is is all about. And it's, um, it's, it's a very difficult thing to get your head around, not least because quite a lot of people only play for one or two seasons. They just sort of want to see what they can do with a, with a club, with, with contemporary players. The, the, as you push out into the future, the, the numbers of people who get there kind of taper off very quickly. But what we do know is that every year around the halfway point of the season, you get uh, a message giving you some hints on your youth academy. It'll be like, oh, you've got a really good striker or, oh my God, there are no defenders. And then in March, they all appear as trialists and you have to decide who to sign. Some are good and some are bad and some are really so bad that you assume they must be relatives of the chairman. How do you make sure when this stage of the game comes around that you get loads of good new gens? Yeah, so there are a few things you can do to improve your chances of getting good ones. Uh, the most important factors are your facilities and your staff. So the rating of your club's youth facilities, youth recruitment and junior coaching all has an impact on the quality of player that comes into your club. Uh, you can see the ratings for these on your facilities page and you can make board requests to sort of try and improve them if you think they're holding you back. And it's also important to have a good, youth, a good head of youth development so his preferred style and tactics can affect the type of player that you have coming through. And his oh, personality, really? Yeah. And his personality can also impact the personalities of your youth candidates. So if he's highly professional, you're more likely to get highly professional youth players. But also you have to be lucky. So whatever you do, there's no guarantee for anything. And the perfect setup only increases the chances of the good new gens. So you're never so, going to get a golden generation every year. So if you've got like a light-hearted head of youth development, you're just going to get a squad full of little Jimmy Bullards? Uh, yeah. Pretty much. Oh, <laughs> well, okay. he won't affect everyone, but he definitely has an impact. All right. I'd never even considered that. Um, if you are at a club that just will not do youth development, my, my Marseille team are weirdly reticent about raising um, the levels of their youth development. So if you don't have good ones coming through, how, how do you quickly identify good ones at other clubs that you can nick? Yes, I think this is where your scouting team come into play. So especially if you know when the intake dates occur in other specific nations, then you can try and sort of get reports on them before other clubs even know they exist. Uh, 
and you can look through youth squads for clubs or even international youth squads where you know uh, nations or clubs have a good record of bringing through players and sort of look for the best ones there. So if you get to like the you know the French under eighteen side, the you know, Portuguese under eighteen side, you you can find people there. Um, yeah. One of the things I I do actually is is go through the the under eighteen leagues um, and just get their every team's squad and arrange them by value, and it's just a really really quick way of bundling through and seeing where the good players have have appeared. Um, yeah. But as as soon as I get a good new gen, whether it's one who's developed naturally in my club or one I've nicked, I, I get completely overexcited. Like I just I want them to be good straight away, and and I'll be like I'll get an injury crisis, and I'll see it as good news because like yes, I can give this kid ten minutes. Um, how do you actually cultivate them properly? Do you have to be really patient? Yeah, it's definitely important to have some patience and sort of go through all the stages of their development at the right pace, and don't don't get ahead of yourself. When the players are very young, the most important thing is actually their training, and then it's only around the age of sort of eighteen where the focus switches to them needing regular playing time to keep improving. So if you have like a seventeen-year-old striker you like the look of, and you offer him a big contract with squad rotation, then he's going to expect to be getting thirteen minutes. And if he's not ready for that, then it's just going to end in tears and go wrong. <laughs> when it comes to like what squad they play in, is it safest to keep them in the in the youngest squad for as long as possible, and then only promote them when they're when they're of the right age or, or is there a time where you could advance them quicker? Um, well, it's sort of hard to get right. And I think it's a question that applies in real life as well, sort of knowing when the best time to move players out on loan or when to promote them. So you can't really know for sure until you sort of give them a try at a higher level. But if you bring them up too early, then they might be out of their depth. They could lose confidence. The fans might turn on them and their progress could suffer. But if you do wait too late, then a player might become impatient ask for a move or he could be wasting some of his best years for development just playing at a level that doesn't benefit him anymore so that wasted time might mean he never reaches his full potential is there is there a way of sort of gently bringing him in you know kind of like Arsene Wenger used to do where you might play a whole load of 18 19 year olds in in a cup competition or or can that cause them more damage Uh, I think that's a pretty way pretty good way of doing it actually so you can also bring players into the first team squad have them training with the first team but leave them available for your under-23s so they don't sort of sit on your bench all the time and never get any minutes. They'll still be playing matches, but then get that sort of first-team experience and be involved with the first team. And and am I right in thinking that um, the, the level of football they're getting directly contributes to their development? So if you've got, I don't know, an 18-, 19-year-old in the reserves who's doing reasonably well, if, if you throw him in the first team and he survives, he, his numbers will start to go up quite rapidly. Yeah, the higher standard of football a player's playing at, then the higher standard they sort of tend towards. But obviously, if they don't handle the level very well, then it's just going to go in the opposite direction and they'll get worse. So it's important to time it right. Is that a strategy to bring into where you loan your players out to as well? That you want to kind of, if you've got a talented 17-year-old, you want him at a lower level than a higher level? Uh, Yeah, so you want to try and... Ideally, I think a player would gradually go through all the stages and get better and better. But obviously, sometimes players will have a loan that works out brilliantly and they sort of might be able to jump a few stages and they're ready for your first team. Or they might have a loan that doesn't work. They could have an injury and they have to go further, go further down the ladder the next season. But yeah, trying to find the right loan is something that's difficult as well. So you want to look at the style that a loaning club plays and make sure that your player will actually fit in, basically. 
So what do you do when you're playing the game for fun, um, which hopefully you still get a chance to do, um, uh, when you've got a, a youth policy going? Talk, talk me through like your plan if you're, you're intending to manage a club for five years or more. Um, I tend to try and get loads of youth players in. So I, I do most of my signings will be young players and I have a big under 23 squad sort of with the hope that at least some of them will end up working out. And I use lots of loans and sort of use the dev center, keep track of their progress graphs and sort of try and get them into the first team as soon as I can, but make sure that <laughs> I have space in the squad to allow them to actually play. So I have this weird sentimental thing that I do that when I've got players that I've had for ages and they're getting old. Um, so with Marseille, for example, Dimitri Payet, is, his, his stats are falling off a cliff, but I'm playing him in the second team so that he can be there to kind of inspire and uh, and uh, and enliven the, the younger players around them. So that as they come up through the ranks of my team, they'll always be able to say, I played with Dimitri Payet in the, in the B team. Does that actually have any effect or am I just being weird? I suppose it could have an effect because it would raise the ability of the team. But if he, if Payet is not happy doing that, and he become, he could easily become a negative influence on them and sort of start bad-mouthing the club for them, I guess. But weirdly he's been he's been absolutely fine i kept expecting a tantrum but nothing's come in but i just figured if he's there just you know jogging around and doing set pieces if if he's creating goals for other people he could drive up their their player ratings like you might get these kids getting 7.5 7.6 because he's tossed in a few corners for them or, or something like that would would that help yeah that could help so form is a factor in players progression so if you've got a good player in the team the team's doing well and the, the players around them start doing well as well that can only help yeah so all oh, right that's great i feel much better about myself now <laughs> um, andrew that's brilliant thank you so much for coming on the show no worries thanks for having me back so over on the show's twitter feed at fm pod athletic we asked the question who is your greatest ever new gen? Mine is uh, Brian Whitehead, who appeared in my Leeds United side and was just a kind of Yorkshire version of Terry Butcher. He was he was wonderful, and I I, I mourn the fact that I'm not playing FM17 anymore, so I could see how he turned out. Abby, we had loads of people getting in touch. Um, who who are the greatest new gens? Can I just say Brian Whitehead is like that is a Leeds player. If you are to say, who does Brian Whitehead play for? Leeds. He's no nonsense and he drinks stones bitter. <laughs> Absolutely. Jamie Allison got in touch and he said, Tyrone Dunn, local lad through the academy. Attributes were average at 18, but an injury crisis meant he had to play in the Prem. Turned into a world-class box-to-box international, Stephen Gerardesque, but with better hair. Nice. Brad Dodgson. Uh, says Ishmael Gase on his FM17 as Leipzig. He absolutely hated turning up for training and probably lost months of wages. He did always turn up on a Saturday and scored a shed load of goals. Frustrating, but absolutely brilliant. He really reminds me of a character out of Ted Lasso. <laughs> Ishmael Gase or yes. Brad Dodson. <laughs> Do you know what? Both. <laughs> Coach. Who else we got? FM Grasshopper uh, has actually written a blog about Marco Simon and Remo Mara. I hope I've pronounced those correctly. Find that on at FM underscore Grasshopper. I've seen their numbers. 
they're off the chart. I'm fairly sure one of them was a 23 for passing. Not bad. Nice, nice. You need that in a team. Um, I love this one because it just reinforces the fact that, you know, not every new gen is actually any good. Not every footballer is any good. Um, Alan Flood, says Phil Martin. Alan Flood was an Irish poacher with terrible stats who scored at least a goal a game in the six games after his forced introduction and he helped lead Hibs to the SPL title. And although he never got near that form again i think it was the last time i played until 3 a.m terrified that his good form was caused by a glitch i love the name alan flood nice yeah and we've got one more here from michelinho who says his his uh, his new gen is william 2.0 for whom he made an actual twitter account nice. uh, michelinho says he's my best new gen ever he is the love of my life and came close, as close to becoming the new Pele as humanly possible during my 10-year FM20 save with Santos. Aww. Excellent. Excellent. Now, it is worth remembering, a couple of shows back, we had Johnny Sharples, uh, he of Avika Strock fame. Um, he was ready to quit that game after three seasons until Miles Jacobson, um, who he, he met at an event, said, keep going because the game gets really good after a few years. And uh, if, if you take nothing else from this episode, take that. It is true. I'm only three seasons into my Marseille save and I've got new gens inside the first team. And I feel like a shepherd with a flock of fluffy little millionaire sheep. So keep it going. Right, there is at least one of you out there who hasn't got an athletic subscription. Goodness alone knows why. Because if you type theathletic.com forward slash fmpod, you'll get a subscription for £3.99 a month. For six months. Now, I've done the maths of our Siri. That's just under 13p a day. Like 13p. Now, if you're trying to tell me that there's nothing on The Athletic today worth, well, it's actually 12.9p, well, I shall have to ask you to step outside, sir or madam, for there is Joey Durso cracking open the football index scandal. There's George Colkin wallowing in the despair that is Newcastle not very united. There's women's football with the award-winning Katie Wyatt. There's loads of stuff. And ad-free podcasts as well. So do yourself a favour. Type theathletic.com forward slash fmpod now the football manager show community center community center then and had a message this week from brad wilgus he says hey ian prepare to have your love for this game seem casual at best that is a bold start I stumbled, says Brad, upon this challenge on the SI boards a couple of years ago. It's the Ultimate Football Manager 21 Challenge. Uh, You know, I've heard things pitched like this, so I checked it out. (laughs) It's just ridiculous. The gist of it is that you start your manager at the age of 19 with no coaching badges and just Sunday-level experience, no added languages other than, you know, what, what you speak already in real life, and you start unemployed. So far, so standard a challenge. But from there, your task is to win 32 trophies. And not just 32 trophies, but you have to win 10 leagues, uh, one of which has to be La Liga, Premier League, Bundesliga, League 1 and Serie A. Um, You've got to win each of them and then five other top leagues. You've got to win the five Champions Leagues. That's Europe, Asia, uh, Copa Libertadores in South America um, and so on and so forth. And you've got to win the six international tournaments, um, which include 
the World Cup and and all of that from a from a standing start, which sounds completely insane and completely impossible. Um, but if you go onto the SI community, you you will find that there is a leaderboard because over the last six years, twenty two people claim to have done this. Now the the rules on the community are very very strict about cheating, and they always should be. If you cheat at Football Manager, you are only cheating yourself. But twenty two people have done that. I don't know if these twenty two people, such are the demands of time, have done anything else in their life in the last six years, but they they have done this so so check it out if you want to feel like you're not taking the game very seriously uh, just look for the ultimate football manager 2021 challenge on the sports interactive community forums and if you are one of those 22 people get in touch imacintosh at theathletic.com because i have some very serious questions about how much vitamin d you're getting If you've got something for the community centre, if you've seen something that's made you smile, something that's uh, made your game more fun, better, or just something completely weird, um, do get in touch on that address or or, also on our social media, at FMPodAthletic. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is The Football Manager Show with Ian McIntosh. Okay, thank you so much for all of your your letters and your tweets. We get so many of them now. Um, if you want to write in, it's imacintosh at theathletic.com. The Twitter account is at fmpodathletic. I think all of the words came out in just about the right order. Um, what have we got this week? Producer Abby. This one comes in from Matthew Atkinson, who has a question about pressure and specifically players who are mentally weak as kittens. I really enjoy all of the metaphors and similes in this letter. He says, for example, I have a centre-back who's a bit of a club legend, but is a nervous Nelly. Aside from not liking big games, he seems to begin virtually every single game with a status of nervousness or apprehension, regardless of what I say to him. Now, I get that during your pre-match comments and in the dressing room, you can play down pressure and so on, especially across the whole squad. but Is there a way in training or similar to turn individuals who are meek and mild mice into assertive mentality monsters? Well, well, with us uh, to answer that question and and several others is Tom Davidson from Sports Interactive. Hello, Tom. Hello there. Um, Tom, what do you reckon? Mentality monsters, how do you make them? It's an interesting one. Something we've talked about quite a lot in previous episodes is mentoring. And that's really the way to go if you're going to try and change someone's personality in this way um so it's worth looking at the players in the squad and the players who respond best to pressure and set up a mentoring group with those players in there and then a few of the other players who maybe don't respond well to pressure that's really your best shot at trying to mold them into something more fierce and more ready to tackle those big important games but just as in real life you can't always change people's personalities some people will just always feel a bit of pressure or or not react well to to pre-match comments so it's it's a little bit of trial and error involved um see what see what works see what doesn't work um but with the right sort of influence and the right level of uh seniority and authority in the mentoring group you should have some success um and also best way to sort of get over some of some of that pressure is to stick those players in in those big important matches because really going out there and playing in those in those big atmospheres and and in those important games across the season will will strengthen them and and each time they do it they'll feel a little bit less pressure or at least that's the aim anyway 
I, I think it's worth remembering as well that in real life, um, some players are just always nervous. Uh, agricultural midfielder of the 80s, Gary Megson, once said that he was physically sick before every single match he ever played, and he played about 500. Yeah, it's, it's the same in FM as well. Um, as I said, like some players just have, you know, personality traits that cannot be shifted no matter what you do. It's just ingrained in them. And, and as a manager, it's sort of your responsibility to work around that. And, and that's where it comes in with man management and, and making the full use of the squad at your disposal to get the best result for your match day. All right. We, we had another letter from Ivan Holt, and I think I'm pronouncing that properly but but it might be completely wrong hi ian just discovered your show recently and i'm really enjoying it have questions on player development which is very handy because that's what we talked about earlier on in the show Uh, ivan's question is a little more specific though he's trying to get his head around how to get all of those green arrows on the attribute to maximize player potential because although wonder kids more often than not tend to develop quite well some aspects of youth development are challenging and frustrating Um, And the key, uh, Ivan thinks, is to understand the dynamics between current ability and potential ability. Now, these are hidden numbers. You can't see them while you're playing the game. You can see them in the editor. How do they work? Do they affect the player's attributes or is it the other way around? Yeah, so current ability and potential ability, as you say, do do very different things, um, but work towards the same goal, as it were. So... With your current ability, that is that is how good your player is at the moment, and um, you know is, is a snapshot of their of their current form, as it were. And then potential ability is how good they could become. Now, obviously, for younger players, that's much more important. But the other thing with potential ability is that it can fluctuate as well. It's dynamic. Um, so you know you might have a player with what we call a minus nine, for instance, who they could become a a, a real you know superstar in the game in the years to come. But they need a few things to go right as well. They need to avoid injuries. They need to, you know, need to make the most of their development on the training pitch. They need to get regular first team minutes. That can all have an impact on whether they hit that potential or not. And uh, and yeah, you need really need to take that into account when you're really de- considering developing your your young players, and, and particularly if you've got a few wonder kids in your youth setup. So the first point to note is that yeah developing on the training ground uh, if you want to get all those all those green arrows on the uh, on the attribute screen to be pointing upwards you need to really think about crafting a, a, a training program that that suits them and suits their game so if there's areas that you know they have maybe a weakness in then maybe focus on that uh, for a period of time and then go back to working on their strengths and building around their all-round key attributes for the role they're playing in um Something that we've mentioned before as well is that it's important to know when they need first team minutes. Now, generally, as a general rule, if they're under 18, then development is much, much more key to their to their progress than getting regular first team minutes. You know, they need to be learning the mechanics of the game and learning what it takes to become a professional footballer. And then when they get to 18 and above, if they're not going to be able to break into the first team at your club, then it's worth looking out and getting a loan deal for them because... If they can go and get first team minutes at a level that's appropriate to their current ability, so you know if their current ability says that they are a League One 
player, then go and find them alone at a League One club, and they will really, you know, feel the benefit of that. You don't, you know, you don't want to be sending them to a a, a League Two or a non-League club because it might impact on on their development because they're playing at a level that isn't really suited to where they're at currently. Um, and obviously, over time, the more minutes they get, the more experience, the more time they spend on the training pitch, they'll naturally develop. And it's just a question of where that ceiling is for them. If everything goes right, then they, you know, they can hit the ceiling that that the game says that they could hit. Um, you know, if you've got a four and a half star potential player, then everything goes right. They'll end up being, you know, a four and a half star player um, in in the in the near future. But there's a lot of things, as as with any footballer um, would tell you, there's a lot of things that can go wrong um, during that journey. You can you can have injuries. You can have a period where maybe they're unhappy or unsettled and not training training to the level that they should be you know their training performance rating might drop a bit as well so all those factors can come into play it's a very delicate act but with a few um, a few pointers like that you should be able to see some progress and hopefully have that wonder kid develop and and be the shining star of your team in years to come tom that is brilliant thank you so much no problem at all Abby, we've got room for one more letter. What have you got? This is from Jack Panett, and he is an avid listener, and he's really enjoying the second series. Thank you, Jack. And he has been re-listening to episode 12, Second Season Syndrome, uh, as well as closely following Ian, your save at Marseille. And having seen on Twitter when uh, the board requested to meet you after declaring interest in the England role and talking about international jobs, he's been uh, giving up some giving some tips uh, to anyone who wants to manage a club in his case, Barnsley, as well as managing on an international level with England. And here are Jack's top three tips if you are in this particular dilemma. He says that he showed heavy loyalty to young English players. He delegates most tasks to his assistant and has rejected a few offers from other big clubs to stay loyal to Barnsley. Uh, Always attend press conferences. So there's loyalty and profile. Yeah, that that all sounds entirely uh, sensible, and and Jack also points out that you know he 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 won the World Cup with England, so obviously, obviously turns out he's pretty good at at football manager, which is is get him in the main place. job. Yes, this is this is somewhere where I fall down. Um, I, I mean, Alex and I spoke about international football. We've both given it a try and didn't particularly get on with it in earlier versions, but I can see. You know, just through the Marseille save that, that they've clearly rejigged it. So this might be something we we have a look at um, on The Athletic ahead of the European Championships. So um, whether or not it's getting loads of people together and, and doing a tournament or just doing a, an, an England story working its way through, I'm not entirely sure. Let us know if you've got any ideas of stuff you'd like to see. Um, the email address again is imacintosh at theathletic.com. Um, and indeed, just, just drop us a line about anything you like. It's not like I've got anything else to do. The Football Manager Book Club. Yes, it's two imaginary points for you if you guessed that Bugsy was Ronnie Bugsy Moran, legendary Liverpool coach and subject of the new book, Mr. Liverpool. And it's an appropriate title. Moran was with Liverpool for 49 years as a player and coach. And to put that into context, it means that he was at Anfield about 10 years before Bill Shankly arrived. And he retired as, well, the ultimate new gen, Stephen Gerrard and Jamie Carragher were just breaking into the first team. Now, Moran, for, for those who don't know, was the bad cop's bad cop. Even Graham Souness thought he was a hard bastard. He had sky-high standards and he hated complacency. 
And that's probably the biggest take-home from the book, that Liverpool's success was not preordained. It was not powered by Shankly one-liners or Jerry and the Pacemakers. It was a product of years and years and years of hard work, which is certainly a lesson to those of us who find a winning formula and then attempt to glide through the game season after season without changing anything. I like books like this. I consider them kind of historical gap fillers because you read enough of these about enough clubs and there won't be much you don't know about post-war football. It's comprehensive, it's packed full of anecdotes. There's a really impressive list of interviewees and it covers a lot of ground. There are a few negatives. There's there's some anecdotes that probably didn't need to make the final cut and there's a reference to Kenny Daglish as the first player-manager in English football, which is inexcusable given that Howard Kendall's literally on the other side of the park at the time and, you know, Herbert Chapman at Northampton in 1907. But look, I'm picking holes. I don't think it's the best recent book about former Liverpool staff members. That accolade still belongs to Ian Herbert and his Bob Paisley book. But I do think it's essential reading, particularly if you're a Liverpool fan and especially at £1.99 on Kindle. So, the two questions we always ask here on the book club, does it make you better at Football Manager? Well, I would say yes. There's so much here on on the the ideology of team building and keeping standards up and personalities. I I think it's a goldmine for anyone maintaining a long stint at one club. Does it make you want to play Football Manager? I mean, I nearly didn't finish reading the book in time, so very much so yes. So, thumbs up for Bugsy. The Football Manager Bundesliga Challenge. And now, hidden away at the back of the show like that little notebook in which you once wrote some poetry and you're mortified at the thought of someone finding it, but you'll never throw it away because actually some of it might be really good. It's the Football Manager Bundesliga Challenge and Alex Stewart from TIFO. Good God, what happened? <laughs> um, yeah, abject failure. Uh, and uh, mounting sense of it's it's gone past unease. It's now into I'm pretty sure full full blown meltdown. To recap for anyone who's missed, having having been in some serious trouble a couple of game months ago, Alex turned it around with a run of three wins on the bounce, uh, surging up to mid table, uh, and it was therefore in high spirits in which we joined each other on the on the link up game uh, last week. Only for I believe it was it was four from four, wasn't it? Uh, yes, yes. Thank you for um, putting it so clearly. Uh, it was, I mean, I, I went into the beginning of the month, uh, with fixtures against Bayer Leverkusen and Borussia Dortmund, who has, you know, as everyone knows, are really, really good at at football. That set the tone, um, for the shellackings to come, um, Wolfsburg and most embarrassingly Bielefeld, uh, who are obviously in dire relegation straits and, and beat us at home. So that's a proper... Um, kick in the teeth, really. Oh, we're we're going to get back on this tomorrow afternoon, presumably. I haven't actually asked you uh, if you're free, but I figure you probably will be. Um, <laughs> yes. You what? I mean, I I can leave the the feed open for you so that you can you can tinker, you can make late changes. But what what are you going to do? Uh, this this feels like this feels like Houdini's greatest trick. Well, the problem is that that. Basically, the team was built, that run of success was built on four crucial players. 
uh, three of whom were injured for a significant part of the last month. So it was really only Wamingatuka that was still up and running. Um, when that happens and your system particularly revolves on uh, around uh, a particular strike partnership and you lose one of them and the other guy that's coming in just isn't match fit or as good it really, really restricts your ability. So, I I mean, I could try a formational change, but really short of getting Gonzalez and Kerbal back fit, getting Mola back up to full match fitness, I'm not really sure what I can do. I think we're in team meeting stage again <laughs> for, for about the fifth time this season. I feel, yeah, I, feel I, don't I actually know. feel quite guilty because I also had an injury crisis and... Um, and my team is also complete crap, but we just kept fluking victories to keep us there. And we're just sort of like a barnacle in seventh place at the moment. I feel like if we were sharing a milkshake full of luck, then like you just looked out the window for a moment and I've just created a vacuum in my gullet and just downed the whole thing. Mm, it, yeah, I, it's, I know the game doesn't, strictly speaking, work like that, but it feels like that. Well, I, I, I mean, I, the, the first two games that we played, and, and you'll remember this from our, our conversation on the phone when we were playing, that we weren't actually doing that badly, even against really good teams. Um, you know, Borussia Dortmund's first goal came from a lovely passage of our play, and then they hacked it clear, and it was Holland just bursting through. And these things do happen, but I wasn't at that point thinking the system's completely screwed or my team doesn't know what they're doing. It was kind of, you know, it was close, but no cigar. And then there's that kind of momentum of bad morale and people getting fractious and everything then just falls apart. So it's, it's really hard to know how to turn it around when, you know, the, the, the first couple of games we weren't playing badly, but then it just disintegrates. It's, um, it's the great FM conundrum. Like, what do you do under those circumstances? Do you go for a wholesale change? Do you try and get morale back up and stick with the way you've been doing it? I, I just don't know at this point. Well, I'd say I'm looking forward to finding out what happens, but I'm not because I don't want you to get sacked because this is basically my, my social life now. <laughs> it, well, if, yeah, you, um, yeah. if you want to find out what does happen, um, you're going to need to read The Athletic, and you know how to do that. It's... Uh, theathletic.com forward slash fmpod and get yourself a special deal there all the articles are there links to all of them are on our twitter feed fmpodathletic and that is our show your guests have been Andrew James and Tom Davidson from Sports Interactive and Alex Stewart off the TIFO your producer was Abby Patterson and I remain your humble and obedient Ian McIntosh The Athletic